I'd like to give you a vision of heaven. I think we need that. The apocalypse of John, what we call the revelation of John, the apocalypse means sort of like pulling back the curtains a little. So if you can imagine, it's a dark world that we live in, and God just pulls back the curtains a little, and we look in. And this is what John saw. I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that could not be numbered. People from every tongue and tribe and people and nation standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, and they had palm branches in their hands, and they shouted out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and around the elders of the four living creatures. And they bowed down with their faces to the ground. And they said, Amen. Praise, and glory, and wisdom, and honor, and thanks, and power, and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then one of those came next to me and I said, Who are these and where are they from? King James, whence are they from? And he said, and I said, You are the one who knows. And he said, These are those who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are forever before the throne of God. And they serve him day and night in his temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will cover them or protect them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb who is seated at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Revelation 7, 9 to 17. That's what we're going to talk about today, but as I look around here, I think I'm overdressed. So I'm going to take off my jacket here. That's all right, that's all right, that's all right. Because we've got work to do. You see, Revelation 7 is where we're going. That's where we're going to be. We're not going to stay like this. We're not going to see the trash in the streets. We're not going to see the family struggling. We're not going to see the nations fighting and invading one another and the gangs. No. It's going to be Revelation 7. All the nations and the tongues and the tribes and the people and the races all together focused on Jesus Christ. And if that's where we're going, we need to start moving that direction, right? It's like if you're going to end up in Providence, Rhode Island, you don't head towards Maine. You turn around and you start going that direction. And so I'd like us to think about organizing our whole lives around this vision. As a matter of fact, at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, we don't have a purpose statement. We've given up on purpose statements. We're just doing vision. And the vision is from Revelation 7. So the whole seminary is organized around moving towards that. When it comes to accepting students, when it comes to hiring faculty, when it comes to hiring staff, we focus on bringing everybody together, reconciling together. 
So we are only about 40% white students right now because we represent the world. We have a cohort of 50 Ghanaian students studying in Ghana in three different groups. You all, we, all should, we should all go visit them. They would be so encouraged. They meet in three different cities. We zoom in the teaching. They have mentors there. And then the faculty member goes and visits those village, villages and prays with them and talks with them. So we care about Revelation 7. I believe that only those who are heavenly minded are any earthly good. But often people say, oh, you're just so heavenly minded. You're no oh, no, 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 no. If you're heavenly minded, you can be earthly good. But if you're only earthly minded, what good is that? You're just rooted in this sinful, fallen, difficult world. But that's where we're going. That's where we're going. That's the really real. You see, this is just temporary. That is eternal. And so that's where we're going. And so we're going to organize our seminary, our personal lives, and even our churches around that. Only those who know where they are going will be able to bless those around us. What a tragedy it is to be caught up or to be led by people who don't know where they're going. But here today we will affirm that we are not tragic people. We know where we're going. We're, we're hopeful people. And people are going to want to be around us. The church is a signpost to the kingdom of heaven, you see. When you're around church people, you become hopeful. Because you say, they know where they're going. And where we're going is a beautiful place. It's a miraculous place. It's a place that we can't even fully dream or imagine. We can't perfectly affect it here, but we can point the right direction and move other people from hopelessness to hopefulness. So let's meditate on this heavenly vision today for our own good, for the good of the church, for the good of our families, for the good of our neighbors. The vision of God pulls us forward. You got that? The vision of God pulls us forward in our lives. That is where we are going. We live each day according to where we think we are going. I bet some of you maybe are hoping to get a raise. And so you work in your job and you do certain things and maybe you take extra courses so you get a raise. Some of you, and this was me at one time, wanted to move from an apartment to a house. And so you plan in a certain way and you save your money and maybe work overtime so you can get that house. When I was in high school, I wanted to go to college and play either basketball, if I grew to be over six foot tall, but I only grew to be 5'11", so I didn't play basketball, or soccer. So I worked real hard, and I played soccer in college. But it was hard work. I had to say no to all these things here. I had to train, and in the summers, I played summer soccer league, in the spring, spring soccer league, and then the fall, I played the regular season because I knew what I wanted to do. That's what's going for Now, I've got a great example of this. We have, a, a, we have two sons and one daughter, <clears throat> four children. If you know much about Hebrew poetry, our family is like a chiastic structure, okay? A-A-B-B, -B. girl, girl, boy, boy. That's the way the Psalms are written. Did you know that? All the Psalms are balanced like that. So that's the way we did our family. <clears throat> Thank you, Jesus, because I had very little to do with that. Um, 
Our son, Elisha, when he was in high school, decided that he wanted to break the high school long jump and triple jump record. Now, I don't know if you know much about the triple jump, but it's not like being a basketball star. You know, there are not many triple jumpers that we think of right offhand. Tennis, golf, maybe. And so I said, well, how are you going to do that? And he says, well, Dad, I, I can't play basketball or soccer because I might turn my ankle. Now, his father was a you know, three-sport athlete in high school, and I knew that Elisha was going to be a three-sport, so I was very depressed about this. But he said, no, Dad, if you're going to break the high school record, you can't risk turning your ankle. Where do you get that smarts from? That's pretty smart. So if you play basketball, you quite often turn your ankle, and in soccer, it's the same thing. You twist your ankle a lot. Ended my career, as a matter of fact. And so he said, I'm just going to focus on triple jump. I said, well, how are you going to train? He says, well, I've contacted some coaches, and they're going to send me some training materials. And he did. He trained on his own six days a week, sophomore year, junior year, senior year. And he got a scholarship, and he broke the high school triple jump record and long jump. No, you don't have to clap for that. Just, but my point is, it's an illustration. If that's where he's going, he organized his whole life to get there. And he went on to college and was a conference championship, and now he's a track coach in Jacksonville, Florida. He trains athletes because that was his goal. That's where he was going. Now, the same is true in the Christian life in our lives. That's where we're going. So let's think about organizing, training ourselves, spending our whole lives, our relationships, what we think, what we do, what we read, what we watch, everything towards heaven. This heavenly vision is for us individuals, it's for you as a church, and it's for us as a seminary. This is the vision of our seminary. It's John's strange, amazing, overwhelming, miraculous, and beautiful vision of heaven. Many languages, one lamb, no tears. That's a good way of remembering it. Many languages. Every race, every language, every ethnic group will be, will be in heaven. You'll see them all. God's not leaving out anybody. And he's bringing them all just as they are. He's not making them into sort of like one common-looking humanity. He takes the best of southern Chinese and northern Chinese and Bahasa-speaking Indonesians just as they are. And he brings them in this beautiful diversity of heaven. Now, you don't know some of these groups, but Bantus from East Africa and Bataks from Sumatra, Tamils from India and Tayals from Taiwan, Hokkien and Hakka Chinese, they'll all be there. Before we look at what this means, let's look at how miraculous that will be. One of the basic problems of our world today is division and conflict between groups, right? Gangs and cities, ethnic warfare in Myanmar, Sudan, Northern Ireland, Nigeria, Vietnam, most everywhere in the world you can find ethnic conflict. It's unbelievable and it's so, so sad. So vision like this of heaven is absolutely miraculous. We can't get it right in this world. The whole world has always been like that. From Cain and Abel to yesterday's newspaper, divisions. World wars have been fought because of ethnic and racial divisions. 
Just watch the news, read the papers, but don't do it too much, you get depressed. Every day, divisions and violence. But this vision says something like this. The basic human problem of community, of unity and diversity, will be gone. All will dwell together in harmonious praise. We humans have failed at this. And when you work at that today, you will be misunderstood, but that's okay. I'm happy to be misunderstood as a reconciler who insists on bringing people together. This reconciliation happens by, only by intentional missionary work and intentional risk-taking reconciliation work. For we naturally seek our own and we naturally divide. So this is a miraculous thing that in our lives will only happen if we're intentional about it. It's not, quote, natural. I would argue it's supernatural. Now, may I speak personally for a moment? <clears throat> Thank you. I come from a white suburban background, but following Jesus has led me to have friends in Honduras, Romania, two places that your church represents. Praise God, I looked at your website. You have a group today, right, going to Honduras? God, I prayed for them this morning. Praise God, one of the poorest, most difficult countries in the world. That's where we belong. That's living into the Revelation 7 vision, by the way. So I have friends from those places. I have staff at the seminary from Ireland, from Cambodia, from Brazil, from Korea, from China. Staff who are black Americans, who are Hispanic, Chinese Americans, Korean Americans, Puerto Rican Americans. We try to live the vision and that never would have been part of my life had I not come to Jesus. Did you ever think about that? How has Jesus brought you together with people who are different. It's all been because of Jesus. And it points towards heaven. Christianity has always grown and been most vital on the borders, on missionary frontiers, where cultures interact and clash and crash and, and collide. That's where Christianity has thrived. Jesus delights living on the borders of cultures and races. Jesus flourishes in those places. Do you ever think of that before? It's not where we're just by people ourselves that the, the vision, the view, the power of Jesus is seen. It's when these different groups come together on the mission field, working for racial reconciliation, that we see Jesus just flourish in our world. Let me give you some examples. I'm a historian, so if you'll forgive me, <clears throat> a little history lesson here. Um, I, uh, our daughter went to seminary. I'm pretty strong in supporting women in leadership, and I've noted that one of the first women ever ordained uh, was from the Caribbean. Rebecca Proton, born a slave of mixed race on Antigua, and then she was taken to St. Thomas in the Caribbean. She gained her freedom. Why? Because her master taught her to read and then gave her her freedom. So she spoke Creole, English, and Dutch and later German. She evangelized slaves after she was freed in the Afro-Caribbean. She later married a German man and was taken to Germany by the Moravians. So she was transatlantic going back 
to, to Europe. And then she went to West Africa as a missionary in 1765, but before that, she was ordained as the first woman of color in 1746 in Germany. Now, only through Jesus Christ do we see something like that. The power of the gospel to raise up a slave woman to become an evangelist in Germany and in Africa in 1746, before we were even a country here. The first advent of Christianity in Korea was a Korean Confucianist priest. Think about North Korea, Pyongyang. Yi Sung-hun traveled all the way to Beijing because China dominated Korea. So they had to take money every year to China to pay tribute to protect them. They were sort of like a mafia. You know, you have to pay them off just to kind of stay, to keep your peace. So Yi Sung-hun traveled to Beijing to give tribute to the emperor. While there, he discovered scrolls written by Italian priests translated into Chinese in Beijing, and he goes from Korea. You see the cross-cultural and language thing going on here? This is where the gospel flourished. So the first time Christianity came to Korea, it came by a Korean who spoke Chinese and went to China and brought the gospel back. No Western missionaries. The translation of the gospel is fundamental to bringing together people from every tongue and tribe and people and nation. The gospel is rediscovered, revitalized, as you have to put it, in a different language. Cultures and bridges. Cultural identity in heaven is protected. Christians, Christians become bridges of God. Remember, Christians must be bridges, not walls. Everywhere we go, we need to look for places. I, I remember in, in Pasadena, I would ride my bike to a, a, a different seminary where I worked on the West Coast, which I won't name right now. And I'd ride my bike, <clears throat> I'd go, oh, Chinese, oh, Brazilian. There were all these different ethnic groups cooking breakfast. And I thought, you know, heaven's gonna be like that. I, I, I think, I, I guess we have food in heaven, right? It's a big banquet and a feast. We're gonna have really good Brazilian food. And we're going to have, some of you don't like this, but good kimchi, uh, which is Korean food. And, and we're going to have really good music. I mean, really good. This is good. This is just a little bit. It's going to be much more. It's going to be phenomenal. God enhances that diversity. He doesn't exclude it. He enhances that diversity even greater. There's a vision that C.S. Lewis has of heaven uh, in, in the uh, Chronicles of Narnia, some of you may have read the Chronicles of Narnia, the last one, he goes into this barn and just keeps going up and it says further up and further in. And I think that's the way heaven is. It's constant growth and learning more about other cultures and diversity. And you, it takes eternity to learn about all of that. C.S. Lewis has another view of heaven in um, another one of his books where heaven is the, the hyper-real so when you come from earth through this bus up to heaven, all of a sudden, the grass is so beautiful, so bright, and so real that you can't even step on it. Because it seems like it's hyper real and you're just like kind of real. So heaven is, is even more so than earth. It, so, so the diversity of cultures is even more so. And, and the beauty of the food is even, even more so. And the beauty of the music is even more so. And the beauty of the people is even more so. Praise God. 
an essential element of the good news of Jesus Christ is reconciling people together. Bringing the gospel brings people together. Heaven's going to be a wonderfully diverse place. I can't wait, but we're starting right now. We're starting to live into heaven right now, enjoying the beauty of our diversity. But it's not just many languages, not just a place where everything is all different and scattered, but it is all in perfect harmony, centered around a lamb who was slain before the beginning of time. I think it's fascinating. Jesus is not represented as the big king, the mighty, powerful God and king. He's represented as the humble, obedient, sacrificial lamb. It's in his humility and his sacrifice that he paid the price for our sin so that we can be united. He brings unity in his humiliation. What an amazing story that we have. So in Revelation, he's identified as the humble lamb on the throne, not as the mighty God and king with a scepter and the crown. Remember that, because we are people who are in Christ. And if we are in Christ, then we represent Christ to the world. We also are people who are kind and truthful and gentle and humble and willing to sacrifice for others. It's only through that sacrifice that we can have unity. So the first image is like it reminds us of mission and reconciliation, many languages and tongues. The second vision, God bless her. The second vision is of worship of the Lamb. And we did a great job with that today. I love to worship. I even wear socks that have music notes on it. Because when I go to church, I like to think of praise and singing and praising and worshiping. We're going to get to do that in heaven. And so this is a worship vision. And it's only through this kind of worship that people can be brought together. Now, this past June... Some of us saw a glimpse of this at Morning Star Baptist Church on June 4th. We were celebrating our covenant. Gordon Conwell has made a covenant with 25 black churches in the Boston area, and you're one of them. And it's because of your good bishop and his leadership, in part, that we have this covenant. It's an amazing thing. In the midst of all of the tensions that there are between races, the difficulties in the United States, 25 black churches covenanted together with Gordon Conwell to make a difference in the city of Boston. How are we going to do this? Well, we basically said, we're going to stay together. And we're going to work together. We're going to honor Jesus Christ together. And we're going to forgive one another and move forward and not let the world separate us. And that can only be done by confession of sin, which we did. And then ask for forgiveness, which we did. And then we came together for good. Because when you sign a covenant, I told uh, Dana Gonzel at First Baptist Dorchester, when you sign a covenant, it's not just sort of like, let's try this out. You don't make a covenant in the Bible, right? Does anybody know what you really do? You don't make a covenant? What's, what's the word for, for making a covenant? Anybody know here? You look like a smart group. You cut a covenant. Why do you cut a covenant? Because that lamb that you sacrifice when you make that covenant says, you deserve that. 
if you break this covenant. So we cut a covenant. And I'm changing, in the job description of Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, I'm going to have a line every year, the president will set up a banquet with the 25 churches to discuss how we're doing with our covenant. We have seven stipulations, what we need to work on, and then we confess where we failed and we move forward, as long as Gordon-Conwell exists. The Lamb is what brings us together. So at that first worship service, it was so beautiful. What did we sing? It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. It's not about us. Over and over again, it's not about me. It's not about us. It's about you, Jesus. It's only the Lamb who is seated on the throne who can bring us together. I remember once worshiping in Rangoon, Myanmar, uh, we used to be called Burma. <clears throat> and I was in this room overwhelmed, and I thought, how in the world did this happen? 700 ethnic Chin from the mountains were down in the valley in the main city, all worshiping Jesus. And I kept asking my translator, what are they singing about? They were only singing about Jesus for like an hour. I thought, this is amazing. And then they invite in ethnic Burmese who are Buddhist to be a part of this. You see, Jesus is what brings us together. The 1907 revival, I told you to get some history here, right? The 1907 revival in Korea was an amazing work. It was a part of a global revival that began a lot of Pentecostalism in the West, starting in 1903. But at this revival in Pyongyang, North Korea, that was called the Jerusalem of the East. It was so Christian. Can you believe that? Pyongyang, North Korea, was called the Jerusalem of the East. And the revival that took place there was among Koreans who impacted Norwegians, Canadians, American missionaries, and Chinese. But it was all about a rediscovery of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? So Koreans were evangelizing Norwegians through Jesus Christ. In the West, we may like the many languages part because we like diversity in the West. But this is where we get in trouble in our witness. When we talk about Jesus too much, people are not going to like that. We like pluralism. We don't like any kind of exclusivism focused on Jesus. But Christianity is all about Jesus. I remember once I was at a liberal seminary and I was talking a lot about Jesus, as I am wont to do. And one of the faculty members says, what is it with you, Sunquist? Do you have a Jesus fetish or something? And I, I thought... Well, yeah, I guess I, guess I do, you know, because it is all about Jesus. But for some people, that's a problem because they don't want to talk about Jesus. They want to talk about themselves and their plans and so forth. And so we talk a lot about Jesus. That's going to be a divide. Some people are going to say, that's exactly what I need. I need healing. I need reconciliation. I need help with this sin, with these habits that I have. And other people say, I don't want that. I don't want anybody else telling me what to do. But we proclaim Jesus, the one who died and lives. One time I was doing a lecture at a large university in China. My wife has told me not to say where it is because this might be taped and somebody might hear about it. But anyway, there's a large university in China that was started by the Communist Party. So most of the colleges were started by missionaries. Did you know that? Most all of the universities in China were started by missionaries. 
But this one was started by uh, Mao Zedong, by the, by the communists. And uh, they asked me to give a lecture on how you teach about Christianity because a lot of the faculty and students after Mao are inter were interested in studying Christianity. It's amazing. It was like Pandora's box. It had been closed up under the communists. They opened it up and everybody wanted to study. So of the like, 12 faculty members, 10 faculty members were teaching about Christianity. Isn't that amazing? At a communist university in China. But they were getting it all wrong because they thought that economics determined history because they were sort of Marxist and Maoist. It's all about money and materialism. And so finally I said, well, what you have to realize is Christianity is a centered set religion, which means it's all focused on a center. And, and then when you move far away from the center, you're no longer Christian, right? But it's centered on this. And I said, for example, I was trying to connect with them. I said, what do you see on a church? One lady raised her hand. Uh, Sir, you see a cross. And then she sat down. I said, very good. I said, what does a cross mean? Sir, a cross, uh, I do not know what a cross means. Yeah. I said, uh, well, this, can somebody tell us what, what does a cross represent? About 40 people there, nobody knew. Now, how do you study Christianity and you don't even know what the cross means? They were trying to teach Christian history, but they couldn't explain it. Why did this missionary leave his family? His wife died of malaria. He has two kids, and he's teaching, he's translating, the, he, came in, he doesn't know the language, and he stays there, and he left his family. Why would he do that? Except for Jesus, you couldn't explain that. It doesn't make sense. It was a bad decision for him personally. And so as I just explained what that meant, then the professor, whose name I remember, but I won't tell you, said, can you explain that to them? I said, sure. I said, Christians basically believe, and then I, all of a sudden I'm giving it a, a testimony. <laughs> I said, you know, believe that God created the earth and people sin and then sent prophets and they sin. And then Jesus came and Jesus showed them how to live. And then Jesus was the perfect sacrifice and he died for us so that we might live forever. And also said, oh my gracious, I'm preaching the gospel here at this university. But that's, that's all I'm doing. I'm just telling what Christianity is about. And the professor jumped up and he hugged me and he thanked me because he was a Christian. And he wanted, he couldn't say what I said, but I could say because I was leaving. <laughs> and so uh, I might end up in prison, but he doesn't care because the gospel got out. And that's fine. My wife would have been upset. but uh, I, 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 So I left the next day. But he got up and he hugged me and he said, you know, he was leading me on. How could they find out about this? And so I pulled out my pocket New Testament. I said, they could read this. Oh, yes, and what is that? I said, well, it's a New Testament. Where can they get that? At the local church. A couple of big churches, they sell Bibles at all the churches in China. Okay. So you see, you can't explain the history of Christianity if you don't understand Jesus. It's all about Jesus and his work, and it changes people's lives, and then it changes the world. Now, I've studied other religions, and I am just overwhelmed at how different Christianity is from other religions. And Leon, you said it very well. I guess I said it in my blog post, but it's all about grace from first to last. Heaven is a gift. The reconciliation we have here is a gift. 
the healing we can have from addictions, the healing we can have from trauma, it's all a gift that comes from Jesus Christ. And that leads to the third point, and I think I have to sit down because I'm, fat, I'm longer winded than I thought. No more tears. I'm old enough now to know that at a congregation like this, many of you have tears. We have tears from, from loved ones that we've lost, from failures in our life. I have many tears. I held my sister when she was uh, 48 years old, dying in an ambulance 25 years ago this month. I held my mother's head when she died. I held my father's hand when he died. I lost a son-in-law at 38 years old. We've all suffered. We all have tears. And God can work through that suffering, that loss, and those tears to bring about redemption. And in heaven, we'll be reunited with those loved ones. And there'll be no more tears. Praise God. No more tears. There'll be none of the starvation. There'll be none of the abuse. There'll be none of the human trafficking. Hallelujah. Amen. There'll be no more gangs. There'll be no more drug pushers. All of that will be wiped away. And it says God will cover them as with a tent. Isn't that beautiful? He, he covers us to protect us from all of that. And what I want to say to you is that Christians throughout the world have actually left a beautiful mark about this. Because wherever the gospel goes, hospitals are set up, clinics are set up, in Pakistan, who's teaching women to read? Only the Christians. Local pastors, missionaries, 85% of the women can't read in Pakistan. But the Christians are teaching them to read. We need to continue to lean into that because that too becomes a signpost of heaven. Gordon Conwell has an alum, Tom Little, Tom Little and his wife Libby, who served in Afghanistan. And Tom gave up a lucrative career as an eye doctor and surgeon to help give sight to people in Afghanistan. He did that for about 25 years. And then his last trip, a two-week trip to get out to villages to take care of people, he was murdered by the Taliban. Thousands of Afghans can see because he gave up his lucrative career to serve the least, the lost, the lonely, and the blind. I remember when I was in Hong Kong at a conference, somebody came up to me and said, Dr. Sunquist, did you know all of the medical terms that we have in Chinese came from missionaries? And I said, yes, I know that. Because <laughs> that's what missionaries do. All the music terms, all the terms for chemistry, mathematics, trigonometry, came from missionaries because we wanted to help people learn and be literate and have a full life. Final story, I was flying to, from Pittsburgh to Atlanta, Georgia in 2006. I was on the plane and this guy with a beard recognized me. And he says, are you Coach Sunquist?" <laughs> Usually people don't call me Coach. 
because uh, I coach soccer for his son. And I said, yes, I am. He said, um, my son played on your team. Oh, yes, yeah, great. What are you doing? He says, I'm going down to New Orleans because of the hurricane uh, to help rebuild houses. I said, that's great. He said, but the problem is I couldn't find anybody, any group to go with because I'm not a Christian. Now, think about that. I couldn't find a group to go with because I'm not a Christian. So I'm going with this Methodist church because it was the Christians who immediately drop everything and meet the needs to wipe away tears. Many languages, one land, no tears. The reason I'm here today is because of a small movement of reconciliation in this area and the covenant that we signed together. Your pastor is a great man of God. He reached out to me to pray with me, and we met three or four times together. I'm thankful to God for that friendship because that friendship has repercussions for a seminary, for churches, and for the city of Boston. It's a Revelation 7 movement. Many languages, races, and ethnic groups focused on Jesus to wipe away tears to serve the city. This vision guides my life, friends. If you want to understand something about Scott Sundquist, go back and look at this vision of heaven. I would like to recommend that this vision reminds us a little bit about who God is and what God cares about and what we need. You see, we need that kind of reconciliation in our own lives with our neighbors and others. Some of you may have come here today not knowing that we were going to talk about reconciliation about Jesus. Some of you may have a need today to be reconciled with God truly so that you would become a reconciler of others. We can't do that ourselves. In our own effort, we fail. We have to, the, the basic Christian, you know what the basic prayer is? Save me. That's the basic prayer. Save me. I can't do it, Jesus. I need you. And friends, at some point in your life, and it may be this morning, you realize I can't do it on my own. That vision of heaven is something I can't even fix myself. Forget help any others. And so I would like to invite you in the final moments that we have here, if God is speaking to you today, either about you being reconciled to God and receiving this humble Savior, the one who sacrificed for you, I would invite you to come forward and we can pray for you. Or if you'd never realized that God has primarily called us to be reconcilers and to be missionaries, and you would like to affirm that in your life, I would invite you to come forward. So this morning, I'm going to begin with a word of prayer and then invite you, if you'd like to, to come forward to either affirm for the first time in your life, Jesus, I need you. We read in Scripture, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's what he's offering today. Or, if you recognize now that God has called you to take up this ministry of reconciliation and mission in the world, please come forward and we'll pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you so much that as we entered with praise, recognizing your goodness, we now recognize that you have called us, called us to give up, to resign, to surrender, to stop trying to do it ourselves, and to receive you and the power and the healing that only you can provide. Lord, we need you. 
We need you. We are lost without you. So, Lord, send your Holy Spirit. Please bring the healing that we need. Bring the new joy of salvation that we want. And, Lord, remind us that you came not just to save individuals, but to reconcile us to yourself and to one another. Our world needs that today, Lord. And today, I reaffirm that calling of my life to be a reconciler for the sake of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, send your Holy Spirit. Speak to us, Lord. Bring healing, salvation, and reconciliation so that the world might believe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What's your name? Sister Sonia Tadbury. God bless you. Can I put I came because I, I feel like um, I want to be on a mission for God. I believe that He's leading me. Praise God. First name. Thank you for your calling on Sonia's life. We pray, Lord, that you would pave the way, that you would show her where she should go, how she should study or train, or how she should go and where she should go as a missionary of Jesus Christ. You call us to yourself, and you send us for yourself. So send Sonia. In the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Father. Thank God for the word today. And um, let's just give God some more praise. Let's give God. Amen. Praise God. Thank you very much, Dr. Sunquist, for that word. And if you're online and you answered, you raised your hand or you have an intention for the prayer that was just made, uh, please feel free to email at uh, the church at uh, mail at ptspice.org because I believe, I, I just feel like maybe there might have been more people. Um, so we just praise God for our sister uh, who came forward and uh, may the Lord bless you and continue. I, I believe we'll reach out to you to talk more about that. Amen. So let us stand at this time. At our church, as you know, our, it is our custom to close with a blessing. And uh, if you would hold your hands out as if to receive at this time, I will pronounce the priestly blessing on us. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May he look after you, shield you, defend you, and take care of you. May the Lord make his face shine, grin, beam, and show his pleasure on you. And may the Lord be gracious, kind-hearted, pleasant, and compassionate to you. May the Lord show you his favor that will promote you, appreciate you, support you, and side with you as you side with him. And finally, may the Lord give you his shalom his peace, his rest, his harmony, his calmness, his composure, his prosperity, his success. May he remove anything that causes agitation 
or discord with his divine purpose and destiny for your life. I bless you in the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone say, I receive that blessing. Amen. May the Lord bless you. Go in peace. If anyone would like prayer, any further prayer, you're welcome to come uh, to the altar. Uh, there are some elders or others who would be happy to pray with you. Amen. Hey, family. Thank you so much for joining us for today's service. Special thanks to those of you who continue to generously support the work of this ministry. We are so grateful for you, and it's because of you that we can be a blessing to this community. If you enjoyed the service today, please like, share with your friends and family, and subscribe to our channel so that you can get a notification whenever our services go live. We also invite you to follow us on social media at PT Cambridge in order to stay connected to this ministry. Hey, we look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks for watching and God bless you.